We come this morning to our sermon passage. We're continuing on in the Gospel of John. And this morning we reach kind of a dramatic crescendo in the storyline. If you read through straight through the Gospel of John, right here is the last thing, the very last thing that Jesus does before he's arrested. So I've spoken about that the last couple months as we've been back in John, that at John chapter 13, it all zooms into one room on one night. It's Jesus having a meal, the Last Supper, with his disciples, and he's telling them these kind of stabilizing truths, these basic things to carry them forward. And when he finishes teaching them, he stops to do one more thing. He stops to pray. And that's what John 17 is. So we're going to actually be reading the whole chapter. It's 26 verses. So, um, but this was all a prayer that Jesus prayed the night that he was arrested. So John 17, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. That's Judas, by the way. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am the, of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for I sanctify myself so that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer not, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me from before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have, as strange as it may seem, these words of prayer from Jesus 
recorded for us in Scripture, that we can kind of overhear him in this most intimate of moments. What was central to his heart and to see that in the time of his distress, what was on his mind was his mission, his disciples, and even us. Even us. Give us clarity of mind as we mine the treasures of God's word here. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw a thing on the news this week, and it's kind of shocking a little bit. Um, I don't know if you saw this. It was a couple of days ago. There was an elementary school teacher somewhere whose private notebook full of uh, the teacher's true thoughts about her students was found. She's been suspended because it was not flattering whatsoever. It was filled with all kinds of descriptions of different students, uh, physical descriptions, descriptions of uh, things she did not like about these students. It was essentially, if you've ever seen uh, Mean Girls, it was her burn book. Um, if you haven't seen Mean Girls, that's okay. You get the idea. Um, but man, it hit me. What, what's that like? I hope those kids don't get a hold of the book. I hope they don't see what the teacher actually thought about them. Now, have you ever overheard somebody talking about you when they didn't know you were there? Or maybe you've talked about somebody and you didn't know that they were there and your guard's down and you're saying all your frustrations. You're saying in this moment of privacy what you really, really think. I bring that all up because that's what John 17 is. John 17 is an overheard conversation between God the Father and God the Son. It is Jesus before the excruciating experience of his crucifixion. In the moment of his greatest distress. In fact, this is the prayer that the other gospels talk about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was distressed to the point of sweating blood in heart. That's what John 17 is. The actual words Jesus prayed before he's going to be arrested. And we overhear, right here, what is central to Jesus' heart. If there was ever a moment in his entire ministry when he should be like, I am sick of these disciples. You gave me this crew of cowards. You gave me, Father, this crew of people that are not dependable, that are about to abandon me, that are going to leave me alone. This would be the moment. And what do we see here? What's Jesus talking about right before he walks into his crucifixion? He's talking about his mission. He's talking about his love for his disciples. And he's talking about even us. So that's why we're going to break it down. Uh, this is a very big uh, chapter. We're not going to hit every uh, treasure that's in there. Um, but we'll start with this first section here, Jesus and God's mission. Jesus and God's mission. The mission of Jesus was the eternal Son of God entering into our history. Now, he's God, and he talks about the glory he had with the Father before the world began. Glory and honor belongs to him by nature. And that word glory, it means like shining light. It, it means a, a, a unbelievable beauty, an awe-striking beauty. That belongs to Jesus by nature because of who he is. He's the Son of God. But to descend into our world, to chase us, he that is glorious and beautiful by nature, it means getting into the muck of our world. It means that that glory and that beauty gets, in a sense, left behind, obscured, 
hidden. And that's the experience of Jesus in our world. It is not the experience of someone arriving and being recognized for who they are. In fact, it's the experience of this glorious and honorable one not being seen as who he is. And now, right now in this moment in John 17, that's more true than it has ever been before because he's right on the edge of his crucifixion. When sin and spiritual darkness, the spiritual darkness of our world will face off against the love of God for us in a contest to see which is more powerful. Will the spiritual darkness that covers our world like a blanket, will the sin that we have committed and incurred as a, as a whole be more powerful than God's intentions and God's love for us? Jesus knows he is about to be shamed and beaten and torn apart and degraded, but he also knows something else. He knows which will win out. He knows that the love of God for us is stronger than our sin, stronger than the power of Satan, stronger than spiritual darkness. And that's why he can pray here that the Father glorify him. He can pray that the glorify he can pray to the Father to glorify him past crucifixion because he knows the Father will answer this prayer. As I said, he's about to face crucifixion and shame. He's about to be torn apart and degraded, but he knows that it will not remain that way. He knows that this, as tough as it is, will be the pathway for us to receive everything God has for us. And that the crucifixion will not, cannot be the end for him because God will vindicate him in resurrection and raise him in glory, which in a sense is the opposite of shame that the shining light of God's glory and beauty will outshine the darkness of shame and that his glory will shine for our benefit. That's the mission of Jesus in this world. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says uh, about us receiving eternal life. Eternal life. We tend to say eternal life and we think long life. But that's not God's mission, just to give us long life. He could do that with medicines. He could give, give us a miracle drug and make us live a really long time. But when Jesus speaks about eternal life, he's talking about a quality of life. As he says, eternal life is to know the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who God has sent. This is Jesus equating himself with the Father, telling us that he is God, and he's telling us that the abundance of life that belongs to the eternal God is so power, profoundly powerful that truly knowing him sweeps us up into that life. That at the core of who God is is joy and love within himself. And that what God has done in Jesus Christ is open a door for us to be connected to that unending fountain and reservoir of love and joy. And that's what it means to know God, not just to know some facts about him. Knowledge of God is not knowing facts like we know the facts of a celebrity. We may have a favorite celebrity. We know how tall they are, where they were born, their birthday, all of those kind of their favorite snack food or whatever. That's not knowing God. That's not knowing God. When it talks about knowledge of God, this is the intimate knowledge of faith. This is looking to God to define who we are. Looking to God to discover what he values. 
tracing our restless hearts and our desires to find rest in him. So this is Jesus here in John 17, speaking to the Father about us, about this mission to bring us life and thriving in him, even in the midst of our broken world. But that's not all Jesus prays about, and that brings us to our second section, Jesus and his disciples. This runs from verses 6 to 19. Because Jesus then turns, and he begins to pray for his disciples. And in these verses, he reiterates a point that is crucial for us to know, that when it comes to the thing of faith, the most important thing about faith is never the strength of faith. I've said this many times, and the, the most important thing about faith, the disciples or ours, is not how strong it is. The most important thing about faith is the object of our faith, what or whom we've placed our faith in. Jesus makes it clear that the disciples here have access to this eternal life he's talked about and have come to truly see the beauty of God, and it's all because of grace. They didn't smart their way into it. They weren't especially uh, uh, active in chasing it down. The fact that they've come to know the Father and they've come to know the Son that the Father has sent is all because of grace. They weren't especially holy, and God saw that and decided to reward them for their morality or their faithfulness. No, they were chosen out of the world, which is, is, is important for us to, to see that. Jesus speaks about them being chosen out of the world. It means they had not risen above the brokenness and the darkness of our world to be noticed. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Jesus entered into the darkness and brokenness to find them. When he speaks about the words that Jesus has given to them and that they've believed, notice he calls them given words. They're not found words. This is not them seeking after wisdom and finding it after a long struggle. This is them being gifted the words of God. They didn't smart their way into God's favor. It speaks about them being holy, which means being set apart and clean. Being holy is being set apart from common things for the things of God. But how did they achieve this holiness? Jesus says, I set myself apart. I sanctified myself for them. It's all grace. Now I want to point something out. This prayer that Jesus is praying is the last thing, as I've said, that happened before he's arrested. And these same disciples that Jesus describes here as knowing with certainty that Jesus came from the Father, they scatter. They abandon Jesus. And in Peter's case, he even denies knowing who Jesus even is. So how in the world can here, just a couple of hours before that would happen, can Jesus say that they know with certainty? Because the important thing isn't the strength of their faith, it's the object of their faith. In a sense, that little faith that they may have is crowned, crowned by God to be more than it actually is. It's all grace. Friends, the most important thing about us at any time in our relationship with God is not the strength of our faith. It's the strength of who God is. Because there's going to be times when our faith is profoundly weak. There will be seasons of doubt 
when doubts plague our hearts and minds, there's going to be seasons when what seems so sure now fills up in the air. There's going to be seasons when we're maybe even ready to abandon Jesus and deny that we know him altogether. When it seems like our life might be much easier if we just opted out on this whole Jesus thing completely. When that happens, what's our hope? What will carry us along? What will keep us from despairing that our sin will be stronger? What will keep us from despairing about our doubts? It's the fact that we didn't earn God's grace in the first place. And our confidence is not on our hold of God. We let go. It's His hold on us. That we are kept and secure in Jesus, that we are not our own, but we belong in body and soul, in life and death to Jesus. That's our hope, whether our faith is strong or feels strong, or whether our faith is weak and it feels like a tiny little thread. In this moment in John 17, I want to think the disciples thought about this a lot. The disciples hear Jesus speaking about them directly before they're going to betray him. And what do they hear? I mentioned this earlier. They don't hear Jesus crying out to the Father, I'm sick of them. I begrudge their failure. I'm sick of them and their weakness. I despise them for their weakness. What does Jesus say? They hear him ultimately concerned that they are kept, that they are safe, that they are protected. They hear that they are loved, that Jesus and his focus is not on the world of darkness that is about to swallow him up in its grasp. As he says, he's not praying for the world here. His, his eyes aren't on that. No, before his suffering, during his suffering, at the moment when Jesus would be most excused in turning his eyes from his disciples to the blow that's about to hit him, he is concerned with his flaky friends. That they be kept from evil, that they be cared for and protected. And if that does not show you the character of our Savior, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. That brings me to my third section, Jesus prays for us. Jesus doesn't just pray about his disciples as individuals. He prays for the mission that's going to be theirs after his resurrection. Now, I want to point that this, this is a remarkable grace as well. He knows right now that he is going to entrust the message of his good news to these cowardly people. And that they, in their weakness and failure, are going to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. And they're going to become witnesses that Jesus is alive and that it changes everything. So Jesus turns in verse 20 and he prays for, quote, those who will believe in me through their message. This is Jesus praying for us right here. Jesus' view is toward the good news of God's grace, expanding beyond this tiny group of people who believe in him here for that good news to cover the earth that all may hear the gospel. And what does Jesus pray for us? He prays that we will be one. He prays that we will be one, that we will be unified by him. Friends, part of the good news of the gospel, and one of the ways that it's made visible and, and plausible in the world that we live in, 
is when believers are united with each other. Not when believers all become like each other. You know, sometimes churches can, can paint a picture of what a true follower of Jesus looks like, and it's somebody who dresses a certain way, who likes a certain kind of music, or they'll paint a picture and they say, well, this is what it means to follow Jesus, look like this, do these things. That's not what Jesus has for us at all. Because that's not unity, that's uh, monotony, that's, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but that's not true unity. True unity only can exist if there is diversity, if people are very different than each other. And when very different people who have different likes and different backgrounds, different careers, different personalities can come together as one, it is one of the most powerful examples to the world around us that God's grace has to be true because I cannot explain this any other way. When we can join hands and join voices together to declare that Jesus is king and what he says matters, that's when the church starts to make sense of the gospel. That's why I often say diversity is not a problem to be solved. A lot of times we can get uncomfortable when we say diversity um, because it means a lot of different people are going to be near each other and, and, and we might say something wrong or we might step on somebody, you know, we might have some cultural ignorance or we might whatever make somebody feel strange. And yeah, when people interact, that's just people, that's human beings. When we interact with each other, we, <laughs> we stick our foot in our mouths a lot of times. But diversity is not a problem to be solved. It's a reality to be celebrated. It's part of God's creative work. And when diversity is joined together, it becomes a beautiful mosaic that points to the creativity and the glory of our creator. That he makes lots of different people. And he puts them together because he thinks it's lovely. As Jesus says in verse 23, this is how the broken world will know that Jesus is who he says he is and how they will know the love of God when his people are one. In fact, the diversity of God's kingdom is one of its superpowers. We all have different gifts. We all have different individual callings. The apostle Paul will later on use the metaphor of a body. And he says, you know, if a body was just all eyeballs, that would be, that's a terrifying monster. It wouldn't be able to do anything. And the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. But God joins us together in our diversity like the different parts of a body who have very different functions. But when we work together, it's a beautiful thing. We all have different gifts. We have different individual callings. We're in different stages of life. But we've been joined together in this time, in this place, for the glory of God and for each other's good and to serve. God has placed us together in this particular place where we are right now for the good of this community. That is why we are here. That is the mission that Jesus has called us to. And there are going to be ways that we show that in small, small ways. There are going to be ways that are very obvious. Like when we provide our baby care area at, at town functions. That may seem like a small thing, but people see that. 
That's a lot of different people that are there together enjoying each other, making space for people that are easy to forget, little kids. When we participate in things like the Dunn Litter Suite, these are people taking their time and they are together with each other doing a very small thing, maybe, to beautify a city. And there are going to be far more opportunities and far more things. And those are just, those are events. I'm not even talking about the reality and the organicness of friendships. When people see very different people connecting with each other. We can live in community where we are not at odds with each other, where we bear one another's burdens, where we love on purpose, where God's grace reigns, where we take off the religious costumes and we leave our supposed respectability at the door and we look at each other in the eyes and we know that we are those that Jesus loves because the Bible tells us so and that that is the most important thing about any of us where we see each other as Jesus speaks about in verse 24 as people that Jesus wants to be with. That's one of the most powerful verses in this prayer to me. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. What if our minds were transformed when we spoke to our brothers and sisters in Christ? When we thought of them even when they're frustrating us and we think this is somebody that Jesus wants to be with. This is somebody that Jesus came to rescue and he desires for them to be with him. What if we thought about that for ourselves? He's not sick of us. I'm somebody Jesus wants to be with. I'm somebody Jesus wants to bring to where he is so that the glory that belongs to him by nature that I can Stand and bask and live in awe of that glory. We can know that our destiny together is to revel in the glory of God together and see how that transforms all of us together. That where we are headed is the renewal of all things in the new heaven and new earth when the darkness that colors of our world will be removed in its entirety and all we will know is the love of God. That's our destiny. That's the thing that is in front of us that colors our present experience. That's the thing we can look to and know that even in our trials, even in the most difficult things, I'm someone Jesus wants to be with, and I've been joined together with other people that Jesus wants to be with, and he is leading us to a place where all we will know is his love. Friends, it's not easy to be a community like that in a world like ours. There's going to be temptations for us to look at other things. There's going to be temptations, as I often say, for us to start to build resumes to impress each other. There's going to be temptations for us to, to find our identity in all kinds of other things. And when those temptations hit, let's learn some muscle memory to think of what Jesus prayed here in John 17. The words of John 17 are worth revisiting time and time again. Why? Because we always need to keep in front of us the reality that we've talked about today. That the mission of Jesus is to make God, who God is, clear to us. That he is God for us. That the most important thing about our faith is not how strong it is, but it's who we've placed our faith in. 
that all we have is ours because of God's grace, not because we earned it, and that Jesus desires us to celebrate our unity with one another and make his love visible to the world around us. May he bless us. May he bless us as we pursue this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the mission of Jesus to rescue us. I thank you that you have won for us a salvation that is ours by grace through and through. And I thank you that you've joined us together with each other. I love this church. I love this church. And I love what this church is becoming. I pray that you grow us and you prosper us, not for our sake, but for the sake of the people of Dunn, that when they look at us, join together in friendship, when they look at us serving you, and following you and loving this community, that they'll say, I cannot believe this community has happened. I cannot believe this church has happened. Show yourself through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.